Last Sunday, February 25, uh, actor and rapper Ice-T posted, oops, I went too far, sorry about that. <laughs> That's kind of a cool song. Yeah, he posted this uh, on social media with this caption. Looked in my mirror this morning, not bad for 66, if I do say so for myself, LOL. When I saw this, I looked up uh, Ice-T a little bit, and I discovered that when he turned 64, uh, he posted another selfless, uh, shirtless selfie, and he said on that caption, not bad for 64. Is there anyone here who has not taken a selfie? I don't think there's anybody here who has not taken a selfie. Even George Harrison took a selfie before selfies were even a thing. Ice-T posted his selfie on February 25, which happened to be George Harrison's birthday, where he, he would have uh, been 81 last Sunday. Here is George Harrison at the Taj Mahal when he took this selfie in 1966, the same year that he wrote uh, the song Taxman. And you'll see his wife, Patty Boyd, there in, in a, on the side, on his, uh, I guess, on his right side right there. We all take selfies. Some of us take selfies for fun. Some of us take selfies to remember an occasion. Some of us take selfies because we like the way we look. Some of us take selfies for a, kind of a commemoration of something. Uh, a few years ago, after Dad died, I uh, did a funeral, and I had uh, inherited some of my dad's suits. And uh, the first funeral that I did uh, after his death, I, uh, I wore his suit, and I took a selfie at the funeral home <laughs> of me wearing his suit, and that meant a lot to me personally anyway. We take selfies for different reasons. And what we're talking about today is a selfie that the Apostle Paul, a writer in the Christian scripture, uh, takes that's found in Romans chapter 7. Ice-T says about his selfie that it was not bad. But the Apostle Paul says about his selfie, it's not good. Paul's selfie is not a picture, obviously. It's a snapshot written on papyrus and ink. It's a snapshot of how Paul sees himself. It's raw, it's unfiltered, and it is not very flattering. In Romans chapter 7, some of the things that he says about himself are these. I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I can will what is right, but I don't do it. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I end up doing. I am captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. I am miserable. Who will rescue me? So we are in this series starting today called Marching to Peace. And we're talking today about Paul's battle, Paul's fight. It's that inner fight, the fight that's going on inside of us. The month of March is named after Mars, not the planet, but Mars, the Roman god of war. With the winter months uh, coming to an end and the ground, the frost on the ground beginning to melt and the ground becoming more fertile for farming, 
farmers were, would resume their farming and warriors in the month of March would resume their warring. So this month we are marching. We are marching to battles that we are having in our lives. Marching is a very, very important thing on this particular Sunday especially. It was 59 years ago on March the 7th, 1965, that there was what is called now Bloody Sunday. It happened when John Lewis organized a peaceful march across, or rather from Selma, Alabama to Montgomery, Alabama, to protest the discrimination that African Americans were experiencing, not just at the voting booth, but all throughout our system. And when this group of 600 marchers got to the Edmund Pettus Bridge, they were met with resistance from uh, law enforcement in the state and in local Selma. And they were attacked with the bully sticks and horses so severely that many of the protesters and the marchers had fractured skulls. The thing about that march and that about Bloody Sunday it was, is that it was televised. And all the nation saw what had been happening for years and years. And it shocked Americans. And this Bloody Sunday experience helped create and then help come to fruition the Voting Rights Act of 1965. It was said about that by John Lewis that the Selma to Montgomery march was not just about voting rights. It was about challenging the very nature of a segregated society. Well, this month we're focusing on the battles that we all face in life. And these messages will honestly be challenging, maybe none so as, as much as this one today, because it's about the battles that we fight within. Today, Paul selfie shows us that each of us will face battles within. NPR has a very popular show called This American Life. Several years ago, they featured an episode that they called The Devil Within, and the host of the program interviewed several people and asked them the question, something to the effect of, do you ever feel like there is within you an inner voice that holds you bondage to uh, thoughts that you otherwise would not want to have? And according to the show's host, it was like people had been waiting all their lives to be asked that question. And here are some of the responses that the people gave to that question. Do you ever think that there is within you an inner voice? I certainly know the voice you're talking about. It's totally out of control, someone said. It's got this life of its own. I cannot tame it anymore. One person said, I actually have a name for the voice. I call it Stan. Stan is the guy who tells me to have that extra glass of wine. I know Stan. Stan is the guy who tells me to smoke. Yeah. One girl, one woman who had just got engaged, hears this voice say to her, you better try your hardest to make sure he does not take the ring away because he's going to find out the truth about you and how much you suck. So you better distract him with a really thin body. Do you ever hear that voice? 
The voice that says, you're not blank enough. You're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You're just not enough. You don't measure up. Kathleen Norris, an author, writes in her book, Acadia and Me, about a child who on a Sunday morning comes out of a Sunday school classroom that's pretty noisy, full of bedlam, a lot going on. And some adults have come down to check, see what was going on in this classroom. And this little girl comes out and says to the adults, we're being bad and we don't know how to stop. How do we stop being bad? How do we stop having the bad thoughts? And how do we stop being mean? Well, we know we shouldn't be mean. Well, we all know the principle that if we don't face it, we can't fix it. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, and I want us to be, we're going to have to admit that we have in all of us just an absurd side, a ridiculous side, a hurtful side. Each one of us has within us that side. And don't hate yourself for it. Maybe don't even be disappointed in yourself that you have that. Because it just is what it is. And the more we deny that we have a dark side, the more power that dark side has over us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 7 where he takes this selfie. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer me doing it. But there is a principle, there is something in me that he calls sin that lives in me. It's doing it. It's not me doing it. It is sin doing it. For I, myself, my true self, I delight in pleasing God. In my inner being, in my soul, I delight in pleasing God. So Paul is writing, there's, there, is, there is something within us that is not us. That is causing these thoughts, causing us to act in these hurtful ways. Paul calls it sin here. Other places in Paul's letter, he calls that presence in us that's not us, the flesh. Thomas Martin, one of my favorite authors, introduced to Denise and me by uh, uh, Father Rohr, calls this presence the false self. Star Wars calls it the dark side. Some religions call it the devil. Paul writes about it again in Galatians. He says, but I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That principle that's in us, but it's not us. For the flesh has desires that are opposed to the spirit, and the spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh. For these are in opposition to each other, so that you cannot do what you want. Wow. The flesh and the spirit, the false self, the true self, they are in opposition to each other. They are the Kansas City Chiefs, against the San Francisco 49ers. They are on opposite sides of the line of scrimmage, and they are butting heads all the time, trying to push the ball across their goal line. And we constantly have this conflict within us. There was a poet by the name of Ovid who was born around 43 BCE. He died around 20 CE, 
Uh, Paul would have been a young man at that time himself. But Ovid wrote about Mars, the god of uh, the Roman god of war. But he also wrote a poem called Metamorphosis. And in that poem, he says this. I see and approve of the better, but I follow the worse. And so what Paul writes about to the Ephesians and to the Galatians is not just a, an experience of a Christian, a person who follows Jesus. It's an experience of humanity. It, it, and this experience, it links all of us. I see and approve the better, but I follow the worse. I see love, and I know that love is better, but I, but I choose hate. I know that kindness is better, but I choose meanness. I know that curiosity is better, but I, I choose judgmentalism. Instead of being curious about someone or something in their belief, I just choose to judge them. Tesla has this car that is supposed to be self-driving. We've heard a lot of things about that. And this software for this fully self-driving car has three driving styles. Chill, average, and assertive. Somebody posted this. I guess road rage mode did not fit on the screen. My question to me is, how am I driving? How am I living? Chill, average, assertive, or road rage? I know chill is better way to live, but I sometimes choose the road rage. How in the world can I choose chill? How in the world can I choose to live by love? It's our goal, it's our vision of the venues to live by love. How do we do that? I think our baptism this morning gives me a picture, kind of a metaphor, of how we can choose to live in the love mode. Paul writes in Romans 7.24 this question. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And the body here is not our physical skin. It's not my face and my, my body. Uh, he uses the word body to describe this entity that is within him. It's not necessarily causing physical death, but it's just like emotional, psychological, relational death. This entity within me that, that makes me choose to be, to be hurtful rather than helpful, to be mean instead of kind, it's, just, it's destroying our culture. Man, the United States is right now battling such a mean spirit. It is a body of death. It could be the death of our own culture. How in the world can we choose love? Well, maybe the way to be delivered from this body of meanness, this body of death, is to live instead in the body of resurrection. Hold on with me. Keep this thought with me. Romans 7, 24, but now compare it to Romans 6, 4. And he's talking about the act of baptism and what that symbolizes. So he says, we were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That sounds so deep theological. But I think it could be more simple than that. We have the cho choice to live assertively or to live chill. We have the choice to live in hate or to live in love, to live in judgment or curiosity, to live in uh, a way that uh, hears something and immediately draws a conclusion about it, or we can live in a way of understanding and trying to seek to understand. We can live in the body of death or the body of a new life of the resurrection. In other words, it's an experience of deep love absorbs and subdues the negativity. There are times when Denise and I feel such an intense love for one another and a passion for each other and an affection for one another. There are, there are times that I can look at Denise and sometimes it's just when we're watching a movie together and I'll just glance over there and look at her and just be overwhelmed with a sense of love and, and a sense of, gosh, I am just so glad that we're together. And I'm kind of living in an atmosphere at that point of a passion, not sexual, but just passion and intimate sense of love. And in that moment of time, it is just out of the realm that I would ever at that time be mean to her or be unkind to her or to be dismissive of her. It's because I find myself in the body of a resurrected life, in the body of love, so intensely in love with her that the very thought of saying an unkind word is just crazy thinking. And Paul, I think, is telling us when we are baptized, it is a symbol of the fact that we are being immersed in another atmosphere that just makes it out of the realm of the possible that you would ever act in any other way but love. You know, there are three or four modes of baptism, kind of like there are, I guess, three modes of Tesla's driving. There's a sprinkling, there's a pour over, and there's the immersion. Huh. And I just wonder, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist, as you know, and we thought sprinkling people and pouring people weren't really Christians. That really wasn't baptism. You had to be immersed. But they all kind of mean the same thing. They all kind of mean that we want love or we want to live this new life of love. And I really do think that the reasons Baptists immersed is because we had so much hate that we had to take a bath in love. <laughs> Everybody else could be sprinkled or poured over with love, but we had to have the whole body underneath love to wash away that hate. Now, don't, I'm, I still love Baptists. All right. And what happens here on the platform today with baptism, I want to happen in my life every day. 
I want to be baptized every day, maybe every moment of the day, to be transported from an atmosphere of hate into an atmosphere of love, so that to not love and to hate and not to understand and, and not to listen and not to be full of grace is just beyond me. Well, of course I'll be full of grace. I'm, I'm living in love right now. Yeah. During my very last elders meeting at my previous pastorate, where they were determining whether or not to retain me as their pastor, one of the elders asked me, Philip, what kind of church do you want this particular church to be? And I didn't even hesitate. I didn't know the question was coming. But my gosh, my answer was just so immediate. I didn't even have to think about it, which is sometimes dangerous for me to do. To speak without thinking. But really, I think I've been thinking about that question for at that particular church for at least five years. And I said, this is the kind of church I want this to be. I want it to be the second stanza church of just as I am. Does anybody else know just as I am besides me? I see that hand, sister. Yeah, I've got a few more. In the Baptist church, at the end of, our, uh, at, at the, end of the sermon, we'd have an altar call for people to come and express whatever commitment to Christ or to join the church or whatever. And the song that we sang more than any others during that altar call was just as I am. And the second verse of just as I am, you know, just as I am, I come to thee. But the second verse of that song has these lyrics. Just as I am, though tossed about, with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings within and fears without, O Lamb of God, I come. I said, I want a church that is filled with people who feel tossed about, who have conflicts, who have doubts, who recognize the fightings that they're experiencing on the inside and they're, they feel safe in an environment to express the fears that they have from the outside. I said, that's the kind of church I want. And they said, well, that's not the kind of church we want. And so that's why I'm not there. You know, your selfie may not be as flattering as you would like it to be. I'm not going to post a picture of a shirtless Phil. <laughs> it is not flattering. But that is okay. I'm at that point where I really do believe that God fully accepts and without hesitation or reservation fully and warmly embraces each one of us with all of our conflicts with all of our doubts with all of our inner fightings and outer fears this God this love this divine parent says, come to me. <laughs>